For over 40 years, Ermi has been an industry leader in educating and informing insurance and risk management professionals. This podcast explores current subjects in the insurance industry. Find out more about our podcast at ermi.com. Hi, this is Joel Applebaum, the Chief Content Officer at Ermi, and I'd like to welcome you to this podcast on additional insured coverage for third-party overactions. Joining me today to help us explore this contentious construction insurance issue and help identify some solutions are two of Ermi's experts on the subject of commercial general liability insurance. Craig Stanovich is co-founder and principal of Austin Stanovich Risk. Craig's firm offers fee-based rent-to-risk manager, kind of outsourcing, expert witness and litigation support, and technical educational support to insurance companies, agents, and brokers. Craig is a frequent speaker on insurance coverage topics and is the author of numerous and are very popular expert commentary articles for ermy.com. And our first pro tip for listening to this podcast is his articles are free at ermy.com. So welcome, Craig. Thank you. And Jeff Woodward is a senior research analyst at Ermi. He writes and edits material for our commercial liability insurance and contractual risk transfer subscription reference products. He's also the, a co-author of our brand new uh, edition of our best-selling book, The Additional Insured Book, which was just published and you can buy it at ermi.com. Welcome, Jeff. Happy to be here. Great. Well, I want to get started by giving our audience a general overview and then focusing on the details uh, once we've laid the groundwork. So, Craig, can you describe a typical third-party employee lawsuit and why a defendant's status as an additional insured in such a lawsuit is important? Uh, thank you, Joel. Yes, I, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Uh, in this situation, uh, what we're talking about is typically an employee of a let's say a subcontractor that employees injured on the job um, is eligible to receive workers' comp benefits, but also sues the general contractor for the general contractor's uh, potential liability uh, for the employee's injury. Um, typically what happens uh, is that the general contractor has been uh, added as an additional insured on the CGL policy of the subcontractor and when that claim happens when that injured employee um, makes a claim against and um, seeks damages from the general contractor, the general contractor turns around and tenders uh, that, that claim to the subcontractor CGL insurer as an additional insured. Um, what, what is typically expected in that um, arrangement is that the uh, additional insured coverage that protects the general contractor from this claim. Um, the general contractor will have primary coverage uh, up to the limits of the policies that the um, subcontractor has been required to carry um, and that the additional insured coverage will also uh, provide um, that there be no contribution from the general contractor's policy in which the general is named insured. The, the problem with this is that uh, you have a situation here uh, where uh, because of workers' comp exclusive remedy in most states, when that um, employee sues the general contractor, there typically is no claim 
uh, against the employee, uh, the employer, I should say, of the injured employee uh, for any kind of fault or any kind of contribution because uh, that's simply not allowed in most states. And, and where that leaves us is that we have a situation where um, the CGL insurer who has the additional insured coverage for the general contractor may say, hey, the, the, only, um, the only claim that's being made is essentially for kind of the sole negligence, if you will, or at least the only negligence that would be shown uh, of the additional insured. And, and we're not gonna provide defense or coverage uh, for that situation. Uh, and, and that becomes a problem because that is not what is intended uh, by that arrangement. But it, it is kind of a, a situation where it, uh, it's unique in the sense that uh, no one normally can make a claim against the employer, the subcontractor employer. Uh, and so you're in a situation where the additional insured arrangement uh, tends not to work the way it's supposed to work. And it, it kind of boils down to uh, the wording of the additional insured endorsement. Great. So, Craig, what are the most uh, contentious coverage challenges right now that are emerging for additional insureds facing claims of this kind? And, and how have recent changes in the additional insured endorsement wording contributed to those challenges? Well, Joel, I think that's a great question. Um, what has happened is uh, the additional insured endorsement has changed for lack of a better term, the trigger of what must happen for the additional insured to have coverage. Um, today, uh, and that's, and I'll take a step back in a minute, but the challenge, as you ask, is, um, is that employee's injury, in my example, is it caused in whole or in part by the acts or remissions of that subcontractor, the employer? Um, that wording, caused in whole or in part, by the acts remissions of the named insured subcontractor was new to ISO additional insured endorsements in 2004, which is 16 years ago, but, but nonetheless, uh, it was new. Uh, prior to 2004, um, the, the issue was that um, the policies, uh, the additional insured endorsements typically included a wording that was arising out of, that it was broad, coverage for the additional insured, any kind of minimal causal connection between the additional insured and the injury to the employee brought about coverage even well beyond, I think, what was ever uh, intended by the additional insured endorsement. So in 2004, um, ISO, in all, its, all of its additional insured endorsements, particularly in the additional insured endorsements that are pertinent to the construction industry, they changed arising out of in the additional insured endorsement, which, which had a broad coverage for the additional insured, to a more narrow caused in whole or in part by the acts or omissions of the named insured in order for the additional insured to have coverage uh, under the subcontractor's policy. Um, ISO said specifically um, in introducing that in 2004 that uh, we are doing this to eliminate um, sole negligence coverage, if you will, uh, for the uh, additional insured, which gets back to the issue that I mentioned earlier. If the only person in the complaint is the general contractor and no one can implead the employer subcontractor because of exclusive remedy, 
there's a tendency for um, the view to be that, well, that's sole negligence and therefore there's no coverage under the additional insured endorsement, um, which uh, we'll, we can talk about what the problems are, uh, and uh, but that's not the intent of the wording. Um, to add on to that, in 2013, ISO again changed their additional insured endorsements um, and they kept the, the wording for caused in whole or in part by the acts or omissions of the named insured and it actually goes on to say, or those acting on the named insured's behalf. Um, and they added to that further restrictions. The first was that the additional insured endorsement provided coverage to the additional insured only to the extent permitted by the law. Um, there are some anti-indemnity statutes that also um, affect and specifically uh, mention additional insured as well as indemnification. Number two, um, and this is related to that first part, um, ISO introduced a limitation that said coverage for the additional insured will be no broader than what's in the contract, the, the trade contract between the general and the additional insured. So whatever that contract says, the, the additional insured coverage will be no broader than obviously what's in the endorsement itself, or it could be less broad, more narrow in the trade contract. And so the endorsement has been amended to say, if the trade contract is less broad than the actual wording of the additional insured endorsement, we're gonna go by the trade contract. And the third change is that the limit of the of that's available to the additional insured will be no greater than, uh, or I should say, will be le the lesser of the limit on the policy that has the additional insured or the limit that's requested in an underlying trade contract. So if the policy happens to have a higher limit than is uh, requested or required in the trade contract, then the most the additional insurer would have available to them uh, is the amount in the trade contract. Hmm, a lot to take in there. So, so Jeff, as, as Ermi's own expert, do you see any consensus emerging on this issue, either concerning insurers' claim practices or court rulings? Um, as to whether the third-party employee suits will trigger coverage for additional insured? Uh, I'm not sure that you can call it a consensus. Uh, first of all, there's a, a, a division uh, between the jurisdictions that have heard uh, cases of this kind, between those states that recognize something called a, a four corners rule <clears throat> for uh, determining duty to defend. Um, they, they look at the narrow context of the allegations in the suit against the additional insured, what he's being uh, alleged to have done, and they look at the language of the insurance policy, or in this case, the language of the, of the additional insured endorsement. And if those match exactly, uh, then coverage is triggered under the endorsement. If they don't match, then potentially there is no coverage, especially defense coverage, uh, under the endorsement and in, in states where uh, courts limit their own attention in making this decision to the allegations against the additional insured, you're almost never gonna have a good match because there will not be any allegations in those suits that the named insured employer uh, has had any causal link to the injury that the employee has suffered. And why is that? Well, because of the workers' comp system. 
the uh, uh, a, a workers' comp claim has already been paid on behalf of the named insured. He has been granted on that basis uh, tort immunity uh, uh, in connection with the injury and, and what it caused. And so there's going to be this mismatch between what the additional insured endorsement requires and what the additional insured itself is being uh, being accused of or being sued for. So Four Corners states uh, the additional insured is going to be uh, in, in some trouble. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's it's becoming possible to say that, that more and more courts uh, where they don't feel specifically bound by the Four Corners rule are finding coverage in, in these cases. Um, for example, uh, a Tenth Circuit uh, court decision recently, First Mercury uh, versus Cincinnati, um, uh, involved exactly the, the, the fact pattern that, that we've been talking here. Uh, and in that, in that case, um, the court found coverage, found defense for the additional insured um, using this language. This is the, this is the language of the, of the court in, in rendering its, its uh, decision. The duty of an insurer to defend arises from the allegations on the face of the complaint or from the known but unpleaded factual basis of the claim that brings it arguably within the scope of coverage. Uh, so the additional insured was in good shape in that case um, because the four corners rule uh, was, was not called into play. Um, in some courts, if, if there's any way around strict adherence to the four corners rule, um, those courts are, are making their rulings based on a recognition of the effect that uh, the workers' compensation laws uh, have on these suits. And uh, they're making an acknowledgement of the, of the realities of, uh, of contractual risk transfer. Uh, and there are, there are cases from several of the circuit courts um, that, uh, uh, that took that approach and did not see the necessity to pretend that um, there was no workers' comp action in play, that there was no tort immunity being granted to the named insured employer. Uh, so those cases uh, in, in those jurisdictions are um, uh, all favorable to additional insureds. Uh, I think it's safe to say, uh, on the basis of the, the cases that we see at ERMI, um, that courts are, are looking for ways to trigger a defense obligation uh, under standard additional insured endorsements, but um, that's far from being a guarantee that, that that will happen in any particular case. Sounds like a state-by-state state <laughs> take on this as we set precedence. It is. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, I, I, I've saved the most challenging question for last. You know, the courts seem divided, right, on, on coverage for employee third-party lawsuits. And, and, and where do you think um, this issue is headed? And are there any steps indemnitors or indemnities in construction projects can take to make sure that risk transfer for this exposure works the way they want it to in their state? Okay, that is that is a hard question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, if an additional insured is uh, facing a suit of this kind uh, in a court that 
is bound by the four corners rule, as, as I was describing earlier. And if that four corners rule is going to be strictly applied, um, or if it's a court, uh, as some courts have done recently, that uh, reads a requirement of negligence and liability on the named insured's part into the language of the endorsement. In other words, um, some courts look at that language that Craig was quoting, caused in whole or in part by the named insured, and they take that to mean, in effect, um, caused in whole or in part by the negligent act or omission of the named insured. Um, if you're an additional insured looking for defense in one of those jurisdictions and in one of those courts, um, I think you're largely going to be out of luck. Um, on the other hand, um, I think uh, I think there are some steps that an additional insured can take uh, to avoid at least some of the problems that we've been talking about in, in connection with, with these fact patterns. And um, I'll run through uh, a couple of them. Um, first, um, I think it's really important for uh, an additional insured indemnity uh, to uh, draft its contract insurance requirements carefully uh, in, in a way that uh, avoids some of the problems that have been created by the 2013 language of the additional insured endorsements that Craig was talking about, where uh, the coverage available under the endorsement has the same restrictions and the same narrowed scope that the additional insured coverage as it was requested in the underlying suit between the named insured and the additional insured imposes on, on that coverage. Um, I, I guess the, the, the simple rule would be um, don't get fancy in describing the, uh, the, the scope of the additional insured coverage that you're asking for. Um, there are uh, some 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 really unfortunate uh, court cases in which an additional insured uh, in his contract with the named insured uh, asks to be uh, an additional insured with respect to the negligence of the uh, of the named insured indemnitor in connection with the work. Well, under the 2013 language of the standard endorsements now, if you ask to be an additional insured for the named insured's negligence, that's all you're going to get. Um, Anything uh, that can be interpreted as a restriction on the scope of coverage in the underlying contract between the named and additional insurers is going to become a restriction uh, in the eyes of, of the insurer and quite possibly in the eyes of the court as well. Um, ERMI has always recommended uh, simply specifying that you want to be an additional insured under CG 2010 or alternatively CG 2033, which is the automatic blanket version uh, of the standard endorsement. Uh, or failing that, um, another endorsement that is at least as broad as those two standard endorsements. Um, that's probably all that needs to be said in contract insurance requirements, and it's probably all that uh, an additional insured indemnity should say. Um, one other point um, that uh, we could include if, if we have time is um, keep in mind the possibility uh, that um, um, worst 
uh, worse will sometimes come to worst, and there will be no duty to defend under the additional insured endorsement. Um, but an additional insured will still be the named insured employer's indemnity, probably. Uh, and if the underlying indemnity agreement uh, is one that uh, provides um, defense as well as an indemnity, then the uh, then the named insured is going to ha have to provide a defense, but that defense will be subject to uh, the policy limits. It will not be defense outside the limits the way the, the named insured's own defense would be. So that raises the question that perhaps uh, additional insured should, in addition to specifying what kind of additional insured endorsement they want to be covered under, they may, they may want to be careful uh, and certain that they have required limits uh, of the named insured for its for its general liability insurance program that will be uh, adequate to provide coverage not only for whatever damage awards are ultimately awarded against the additional insured, but also high enough to cover the additional insured's defense costs when those are provided to the additional insured as an indemnity. Very, very good points, Jeff, and some good advice there. I think I should say that you know, listeners uh, can get a free demonstration of the additional insured book, uh, the new one that's out, as well as uh, your contractual risk transfer reference product, which has some great advice in it. Uh, certainly, you're not going to learn all you needed to from this uh, uh, podcast, but uh, we do have some great services out there, as well as another pro tip before we leave, you know, uh, Craig's free expert commentary and um, many popular articles on additional insured are out there and available at ermy.com. So thank you all for joining us. And until next time, be safe and be well. Hey, thanks for listening. Go to ermy.com for more information and be sure to subscribe there to Ermy Podcast for more talks like this and to be notified when a new episode is released.